Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, what a joy. Uh, I get to hear that once a week in my house, and to my wife sings to my son, so I am blessed. Um, well, like Pastor Mike said, uh, this is the third sermon, so you're either going to get the best one out of me, or you're going to have to extend some grace, okay? <laughs> no, uh, all joke aside, you know, as I was preparing for this message um, up there in uh, Flint in Michigan with... Uh, uh, 18 degree weather by my fireplace. Um, you know, something came to mind, a story in seminary I heard of a young preacher who is preaching for the first time and he goes to the professor and says, Professor, what should I preach? I'm preaching this first Sunday. And the professor says, well, son, why don't you just preach on Christ and keep it to about 15 minutes? <laughs> and so that's my intent today is to preach Christ. Because when we preach the scriptures and we handle them rightly, then they will ultimately point to Christ. I will spend more than 15 minutes, so do bear with me, okay? Uh, but that's the intent. Hey, would you pray with me so we ask the Holy Spirit's blessing and Father and Son to meet us now. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the grace upon grace that you give us to even open your word and to take part in that grace of receiving your word. Father, I ask that you would prepare our hearts. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would descend upon each and every one of us now and that your truth will go forth and that it will be for your glory and for your pleasing. Father, we thank you. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so our passage for today is going to be Colossians verses, Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20, 15 through 20. And as you're turning there, I'll start off by telling you a story. Uh, I'm a Moody grad. I went to Moody's uh, College uh, Seminary in Chicago, and as they're near to Michigan. And so I got to hear a lot of the great stories of D.L. Moody, a great evangelist of his time. Uh, got used to mightily. And one that stuck out to me in particular was uh, in Chicago, his home, home base. If you've ever been to Chicago, it's a big city. It looks a lot like downtown El Paso now. We were amazed to see all the growth of big buildings. And it, it uh, really um, draws a lot of people from all over the world to, to do big meetings, big conferences. And so during Moody's lifetime, um, there was this big movement because there was a lot of chaos in the world at the time. There was poverty and economy, uncertainty and rumors of war. It was chaos. Sounds familiar to today. And so a lot of the world religion uh, leaders and some of the most influential people in the world all decided to get together in Chicago for a summit with one purpose in mind, and that was to establish a new world religion. They thought that if they could get all that under one world religion, that they would bring peace and prosperity and harmony to their broken world, that they would fix all the problems. And in doing so, they would also bring Christ underneath it and Christianity. Well, to this, many went to Moody and said, hey, Moody, what's going on? Are you going to go over there, uh, stand up and attack and defend the faith? And Moody said, no. Instead, I'm going to make Christ so attracted to them from the scriptures, they're going to see him as supreme. 
above all other things. And so what Moody did is he gathered all his team and reached out to as many as he could. And he established people in every corner that he could. He rented uh, hotels and even circus tents and churches and uh, hotel conference rooms. And he put people there with an evangelistic intent to do one thing and one thing only. And that was to preach this passage, Colossians 1, 15 through 20, and share the good news of God. It is the supremacy of Christ, where we see Christ fully as who he is by the words of Paul, supreme of all things in all of his glory and beauty. And what turned out to be what was going to be the biggest summit to bring all the world religions under one, turned out to be the biggest outreach event Chicago has ever seen, and many came to the Lord. Glory to God. And so today, as we read this passage, we are reminded with Paul and the Colossians that when things are going wrong in our world, when our, our, our surroundings are broken and, and, and things are just out of place, that our, our response is not to bring something to fix it, but is to remember who is supreme above all things and to keep going to him, which is Christ, our supreme Savior, who brings redemption not only to us today, but to eternity and beyond. So would you read with me here this passage, starting in verse 15, Colossians 1. This is the word of the Lord. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The grass may fade and the flower may fail, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This is the word of the Lord. And, and so with that, uh, for the rest of our time, I want to do a couple of things. Number one, I want to give you a little bit of context of what's going on in the church in Colossae and, and why Paul is writing this. Then I want to give you three points that I believe Paul gives us in this passage about the supremacy of Christ. Point number one is this, is Christ gets two supreme titles that only he can hold because only Christ can honor these titles. Number two is that only Christ displays this supreme attributes of what Christ does and nobody else can. And then finally, it is only Christ that can bring about the supreme work that God has orchestrated for us in his plan of salvation. Okay, so uh, let me start off with some context there. The Church of Colossae was known for a couple of things. It was the epicenter of all the thinkers at the Greco-Roman Empire time. That's where you had all your philosophers. It was also a place of pagan worship and idolatry. And it was a place where they were getting attacked for false teaching. So the Colossians were getting attacked in three fronts. Number one, they were being assailed by all the thinkers, Epicurean, Stoics, Iranians, which at the root of their thinking, really, they were saying, you don't need a God to be a good person. You don't need a God to, to live life and enjoy it. 
You don't need someone out there to keep you accountable. Just be a good person and do, do what you please. On the other side, they have these uh, false teachers who are coming in and saying, oh, well, Jesus is not really a created being, uh, uh, really a creator. He's more of a created creator. They were diminishing Christ because when you take away Christ, then you can take away people to serve something else. And then on the last front, they had all these images of false gods, statues all over the place where they were saying, you should worship these gods. And it's interesting that Paul uses here the word image of God, because in the Greek is the word ikonos, which is the word that we get today for icon. And it represents, uh, has this meaning of a representation or a, a manifestation of something. And it isn't true for us today that we are surrounded by icons. Um, I mean, driving in here today, I went to UTIP, and I remember as I was driving home, we saw this huge pig, and we thought, whoa, that's really cool, the UTIP pig. And what was so cool about it is that it reminded us of UTIP. It reminded me of my time there and reminded me of all that UTIP stands for. And we even saw them in houses. That was an icon. Or if I take out my phone, my phone is full of icons that are demanding and fighting for my attention, my love, my affections, my resources. And I would even argue sometimes our worship. There's icons that represent the false god of consumerism. There's icons that represent the false god of comfort. There's icons that represent the false god of greed, and, and so on and so on. Now, those things are not bad in and of themselves. They become bad when they become to take the supreme place of the one who can only hold that place, that is Jesus Christ. Right? So that is the context that Paul is speaking because the Colossians are being attacked in every front and they are forgetting who is supreme and who could only bring true restoration and redemption and fulfillment to them. And so here we hear Paul puts in a beautiful poem who Christ is and it starts off with these two beautiful titles in verse 15. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Two titles, he's the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. So let me break those, those two down for you, starting with the image of God. This is not the first time we hear this term in the Bible. It begins in Genesis, where God says that he's created man in his image. Then throughout the Old Testament, we hear God say, what, do not make an image of myself. And no one can see God. No one can see God. Whoever sees God would die. The importance of God, uh, Christ holding this title is this, is that only Christ can reveal God to us. We cannot know God apart from Christ. There's only one way to the Father, and that is Jesus. Only one who can reveal God fully to us is Jesus Christ. No other, uh, no other false religion can reveal God to you. You know, when I was in Michigan, I spent a lot of time with uh, the Muslim community in Dearborn. It's one of the biggest communities in all the United States. And for them, Christ, they have high respect, they have high honor for Christ, but he is never Allah. He's never Allah. If you go to the Mormon church, Christ is the first created God alongside with Satan. If you go to the Jehovah's Witness, Christ is God with a little g. He's always a created being. But it's only in the Bible that we know and is revealed to us that no, Christ is the third person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man. And so don't let anyone ever deceive you, distort, or take you away from that tenet of truth. God is fully man and fully, Jesus is fully man and fully God. 
And so that's the title, He Reveals God to Us. And it's interesting in the Old Testament that God has set up this, and then what is the first thing that Israel does right after God has delivered them from Pharaoh? He has displayed his power through plagues, uh, through parting the sea. He brings them to Mount Sinai, and he goes, he calls Moses up to the mountain. And what is the first thing that Israel does? Well, they party, right? They party really hard. And then they what? They create an image of God. And I think God is not, I would, I would suggest that God is not so much offended there because they broke his command to not create an image as so much as the image that they chose. What did they choose as an image for their God? An animal who's unintelligent and who does their beating, who would pull their instruments, who would help them construct their desires. You know, I remember uh, going on a vacation uh, in Mexico, and uh, there was this man who was drawing your portraits. You give him like 20 pesos or $2 at the time, and he would draw your portrait on the spot. And so I went and I did it. And when he gave me that, my ears were this size and my nose was huge. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my goodness, uh, you need to fix this. <laughs> so in the same way, we need to be always careful and mindful in humility to see who God is for who he has revealed himself to be and not let things distort his view. If we have too much of a high view of his transcendence where he's so high and, and lifted up and mighty and holy and so far from us, then we can live with a God who's distant from us. But then on the other spectrum, we can live with a God that's so near and close to us and so loving that we forget his holiness. And instead, we got to keep those two intentions where God is so transcendent, but yet so imminent and both holy and both loving that we can walk in that. That's the image of God fully manifested in Christ. Hebrew says that he is the exact imprint of his image. That was the word that they would use in the Greek to talk about imprinting seals on letters in wax or putting the image of someone in a coin. But even more, the word image there carries the meaning of not only representation, but also the presence of that object being there. So Jesus is not only the manifestation, but he's also the presence of God. He's Emmanuel who tabernacled with us, God with us, fully the, the deity. Of, it was pleased, it says, it pleased the Father, the fullness of deity to dwell bodily form in Christ. How the, this is what we call the hypostatic union. Uh, you can Google that and, and do some fun Bible study on that. But um, it, beyond anything, it's a mystery how God can be fully man and fully God, but he is. And we praise him because if he wasn't, then we wouldn't be represented at the cross. And then he, if he wasn't fully man, then we wouldn't be at the cross represented. And if he wasn't fully God, he wouldn't be able to bear the whole wrath of God upon his shoulders. So praise him. That's why he's supreme. He's the image. He reveals the image of God. But then there's another aspect I want to talk about shortly about the image of God. And that is that we are made in the image of God. We're not the image of God as Christ is. And we'll see why right now. But we are made in his image. And Christ is the image of God in a special way because he's the one that redeems our image. See, at the fall, our image, we were made in his image. Then the fall came, sin came, and it corrupted all of our being, all of our image of God. It was still there, but it's been corrupted. Think of if you're looking yourself in the water and you see your reflection, but then no one has thrown mud all over it. Now it's distorted. 
Therefore, we cannot know ourselves fully and as we were intended to know ourselves. We cannot have relationships with others as we were intended to have them. And above all, it's been, there's been a brokenness between us and God. That's why Jesus has come. And the way he redeems our image is primarily in this. You know, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? Theologians would argue about this, but I will propose to you in a very um, synthesized uh, phrase. It's, it's our capacity and our function. We have the capacity to love, to think, to make decisions with our will. That is given from the image of God to us. And in our function, we have the ability to subdue creation, be creative. Those things are given to us by God. Those are gifts. But there's something that's really broken in us. That's our ability to display his holiness and his righteousness. Our desire, our propensity is towards sin and towards our will. But Christ comes and lives a sinless life, and he's the one that demonstrates true humanity in that he displays the holiness and the righteousness of God. He says, I don't do, my will is not to do anything other but the will of my Father. Everything Jesus did was according to the will of his Father. And so that's how Jesus is redeeming our image. And I just want to say lastly on the image that I don't care how rich you are, how intelligent, how uh, handsome or beautiful you are, or how successful. At the end of the day, when you look at yourself in the mirror, you are great value, of great value and beautiful because you are made primarily in the image of God. And everyone else around you is the same. This is why we fight for the unborn, because they are made in the image of God. And they carry great value and therefore, we have this mind in us, as Paul tells us, to regard others as higher than ourselves. So, no matter where you're going through, know that you are loved and valued because you're made in his image. And those around you as well. So that's, that's the first honorary title that we get from Christ that makes him supreme. He is the image of the invisible God. And I love that phrase, invisible God. I'm an engineer, and I love uh, science and you know, you cannot contain God in matter, space, or time. That's how awesome our God is. And then the second title is that he's the firstborn over all creation. He's the firstborn over all creation. Um, really, two things here to point out. Number one is the word protocols here really carries this notion of uh, primogenitor or a first prototype or, or the one who carries uh, everything. Uh, you know, I'm an engineer, so we did a lot of prototypes when we were building the Camaros or the Corvettes. And uh, it was that one prototype that was a master model that out of it, everything else will come. Jesus is that. He is the first and, and glorious model of the new humanity that God is building in Christ. We find our true humanity in him. And also in the Jewish culture, to be the firstborn meant that you carry the responsibility and all the authority of the father's family to bring about his will upon the next generation. And I love this passage in Revelations when uh, the father is seated on the throne and is surrounded by his glory and his holiness. And in his hand, he's holding a seal. And in that seal, is uh, in, the, in the Jewish times, a seal will be when you break it. That's where the will of the father was to bring about his, his plans. And for God sitting on the throne of Revelations, this, this uh, scroll with the seals has all his will to bring about the restoration and redemption of all of his creation. But we open up in the scene where the apostle John is looking at this throne and father seated there. 
And he's crying, he's weeping. And he's weeping because no one is worthy. No one is good enough to open the seal. No one can approach the holiness of God. The elders are weeping, everybody's weeping. But then the angel of the Lord says to John, do not weep, look, the Lion of Judah has overcome. And when John looks over, he does not see a lion. He sees a slaughtered lamb who has overcome. And that is Christ, who's able, who is worthy, who is the firstborn among the dead, to be able to take that scroll, break the seal, and bring about the restoration and the plan of redemption of God for you, for me, and for all creation. And can I get a praise for Jesus? Come on in. That doesn't fire you up. Hallelujah. He's a firstborn. So the question that begs us is this first point of this honorary titles of Christ is do you know Jesus that way? Have you, have you spent time in his word looking at his life? And as Paul tells us, imitate me as I follow and I imitate Jesus. I would suggest to you, I would propose to you, and I would do this of myself, is to go spend time on the Gospels and just look at the life of Jesus and let his character, his, his attributes, his, his heart saturate the way you view God and how you live your life. He is supreme. Then point number two, we get in the following verses, starting here uh, <clears throat> in verse uh, 17, uh, verse 16, I'm sorry. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Here's point number two, very straightforward. Only Jesus can sustain and, and, and accomplish these supreme things. And that is that he is the source. There's three, there's three propositions here. In him, through him, and for him. And all culminates in him. And what I will summarize to you is this. Jesus alone is, and he is supreme because of this, he is the source, he is the reason, and he is a sustainer. Let me say that again. He is the source of our existence, he is the reason of our existence, and he is a sustainer of our existence and all of creation. And only Christ can do that. That's what makes him supreme. And then Paul breaks it down for us in four spheres of reality. The first one is this, in heaven and on earth. And what he's talking about there is not heaven as, as we think about going to heaven and being with the Lord. But he's talking about the heavens, the stars, the galaxies. You know, I love to look at that. And I love to see NASA and, and what they're doing and the pictures they're, they're, um, they're taking on a, on a monthly basis. And they have discovered this very particular galaxy, or they're not sure what to call it, but it's three pillars. And these pillars are huge out in, in the vastness of the universe. Uh, our, our galaxy will be a grain of salt compared to the Empire State Building, compared to these three pillars. And there's something so interesting about these three pillars, is that every minute they're pouring out galaxies, just creating galaxies every minute. And some even have called them the pillars of creation. And it's just so interesting to me that it's three. Maybe the Lord is just putting his imprint in his artwork 
as he puts his three that spew out galaxies. So he is a source. He is the one who created everything. Uh, whether you call it a Big Bang or any other theory out there, we must go by Scripture. And Scripture says that he created all things in the beginning. Was Right? But he's also the reason. The reason we look out and we see all this beauty in the heavens. Or when I held my son, my firstborn son, for the first time, how can I deny that this love and this amazing miracle, that there's not a God? All of this, just as you see a portrait of, of Van Gogh or of a great artist, the Mona Lisa, it's not, it's not so much that we give praise to the artwork, but we give praise to the artist. And God is an amazing artist. And I love in the epistle that Paul writes in the Corinthians that we were, what, crafted. It says that we are a poema, a poema in the Greek, that we are his poem that he has created with the combination of his artistic hand. Isn't that amazing? So he's the source, the reason of all the heavens and earth. And then he's a sustainer. Did you know that, I have a lot of facts, so bear with me, but <laughs> did you know that the earth is tilted at just the right amount of degrees. It's 23 point something, I can't remember. But if you were to tilt it uh, 0.0001 one way or 0.001 the other way, life would not be sustainable in this earth. So even those who deny his existence, even when we forget that he's there sustaining us, the Lord is sustaining the planet at 23 point exactly what needs to be for us to live here. He's amazing. He's amazing. So he's the source, he's the reason, and he's the sustainer of the heavens and the earth. But then Paul says he's also the source, the reason, and the sustainer of the physical and the spiritual realm. One of my favorite passages, um, you can ask me later if the Lord so wills, but is in the gospel when the Lord is about to be taken to be crucified and an army of men come to grab him and, and take him in. And Peter steps out with the sword and he says, I'm going to defend you, Lord. But what does the Lord say? He says, Peter, stand back. For I can call a legion of angels and they will come in my defense. One angel can probably wipe out a whole city, a whole nation maybe. But the Lord is the general of the angels of God. And he can call them at any time to come upon his defense. Just ponder on that greatness of Christ. Who else do you know that can do that? He is the source, and he's also the reason. Every angel fallen or not fallen, they exist, and they're there to glorify Jesus. And we exist to glorify Jesus. Um, there's a, a Westminster Confession. His first uh, question is, what is the purpose of men? is to know God, to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. That is our purpose. And then he says he's a sustainer. If Satan is alive and if, if angels are alive, if, if angels and everything that we do not see and everything that we see is because Jesus is allowing it to be. And then last two, he is the, re he's the source, the reason, and sustainer of all authorities, powers, thrones, and rulers. That means in your family, whoever the authority is, 
Jesus is the source. In your city, whoever the authority is, Jesus is the source. In your country, whoever the authority is, Jesus is the source. In this world, all the thrones, Jesus is the source of their existence. Jesus is the reason, ultimately, uh, even, in, even in their, as, as I love what Joseph says, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. So ultimately, in his providence and in his sovereignty, all this will culminate for the glory of God. And lastly, if they are able to rule, it's not because of their great power and strength, but because Jesus has allowed them to. Amen. And then lastly, when it comes to the church, this is probably my favorite part about all this, is that Paul uses this analogy that he's the head of the church. He uses a head and a body. And I'm married to a biologist, so I get, you know, I get to, to hear all that stuff with the biology. I don't understand it fully, but talk to my wife. Uh, <laughs> but one thing I do understand is that the body cannot live without the head, and the head cannot live without the body. And so in Christ coming and becoming man, taking on a human nature, he has now bounded himself to his church forever. He says in the Great Commission, Behold, I am with you always. That is so assuring. No matter where you're at, he is with you always. And in the same way, we are always in dependence of him. Because Paul says that not only is the head the authority that directs the body, but it's also the nourishment to our blood and ligaments. So he's given us this image that Jesus is not only our authority, but also our nourishment. He's the one who nourishes our soul. And the question that I beg of us today and of myself is this. Who is nourishing your soul? Who's nourishing your life? Who is the source of, of, of that food that inwardly fits your spirit? Let it be Christ through his word, through his church, and his body. That's where you find the true nourishment. Everything else is temporary, and as the prophets say, it's like stagnant water. It just sits in wells, but he gives living water that flows everlasting. And then lastly is point number three. But before I move there, I forgot this. I want to give you an application for point number two, okay? If he is a source, if he is a reason, and he is a sustainer, then what do you do today? I suggest to you this. If he is a reason, then that should humble you and fill you with gratitude for whatever you have or whatever you're doing. I remember hearing once, what if you got to heaven and all you had was what you gave thanks for in all your life to the Lord? So let that fill you with gratitude and humility to follow him. Because if he is a reason, then you must what serve him. If whatever you have is he's a reason, then serve him. And then as you, as you humble yourself and full, full of gratitude towards him, and then you serve him, then the third one is you trust because he's sustaining it. Even when it gets tough, you trust because he's sustaining it. I walked my wife through cancer, and we saw him humble us and give us gratitude for her life. Then we saw him as we served him. We saw him provide for us. And as we walked in that, we saw him sustain us through all of it. And so he gets all the glory. Amen. All right, and then last point, and then I want to tell you the story of Jack and let you get to lunch, okay? Um, point number three is this. Starting in the last two verses, verse 19 through 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself 
all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. His ultimate supreme work that no one else can do, that only Christ can do, is to reconcile us to God. Yes, there's a lot of brokenness in our life, but there's something that is of outer uh, urgency and of, uh, of outer pre- uh, supremacy in our life that is broken, and that is our relationship to a holy God. We have, we have been become enemies of God, it says, and, and, and the wrath of God is being poured out and stored up until the day of judgment. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For the Son of Man did not come to judge but to save. And he came to save and to seek people like me and like you. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know many of you, some I do, but I must preach the gospel to you and tell you that if this is not reconciled, if your relationship to God is not reconciled, if you're still living by your own will and not by his will, if you have not repented of your sin and trusted in the finished work of Christ's death and resurrection and the shedding of his blood for your sins and rested on that and received that by grace through faith, then that needs to be fixed first or else nothing else will be fixed. So I beg you, reconcile to God now. Just ask for repentance and receive the gift of God in Christ Jesus today. And if you want to talk about it, I'll be here. Talk to all the leaders here in, in this amazing church. And they will hold, I'm sure they would love to guide you and to help you to see this. He did that. This is, this is what, I, what we call the beautiful doctrine of the atonement. In the Old Testament, we see a lot of sacrifices and shedding of blood of animals that were a foreshadow of the ultimate sacrifice that was to come and cover all the offenses. That was the blood of Christ. And he says that it made peace with us. We, you need to make peace with God. We need to have peace with God before we can have peace within ourselves and peace with others. And reconciliation takes both ways. But God has stepped out and reached out first, or you reach out back. So with that, I want to close and give you a story of a young, young boy, Jack, and his sister, Mary. Uh, Jack uh, was eight years old, and uh, his sister, Mary, had a rare disease that uh, she was dying, but she needed a blood transfusion. But her blood was so peculiar that only her big brother, Jack, could provide so they needed just a couple of, of pints of blood to keep her going. And so the doctor went to young Jack and said, Jack, uh, your sister needs your help. She's, she needs your blood. Would, would you give her your blood? To this, Jack looked down and pondered on it for a couple of minutes, uh, looked up with tears in his eyes. And he said, doctor, for my sister, I will. So as they labeled Jack and Mary on the bed, connected them, and they began the blood transfusion. And within five or 10 minutes, Jack looked to the doctor, and he said, doctor, when do I die? That's when it dawned on the doctor that all along, Jack had thought that he was gonna give all his blood to save his sister. But see, that's what Jesus did for you and for me. He poured out all his blood, all precious 
is the flow. What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's what he has done for me. That's why he is supreme above everything. So let's give him the glory and rest in him. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for your son and for the words of Paul given to us now of the supremacy of him who is worthy, of him who is supreme and preeminent, who shed his blood on the cross for us. We didn't deserve it, Lord, but you are so gracious and loving and merciful. We give you thanks, and I pray that as we go forth, that we will be reminded that your son is supreme in every area of our lives and that we can live by the sacrifice and the reality that he loved us so much to lay down his life for us. We love you. We praise you as this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.